Hello, you're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast on the community radio network around Australia. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Jim Rommeld. Dr Vandana Shiva is a scientist, ecologist, author and winner of the Sydney Peace Prize. She speaks about the importance of seed freedom and food democracy for the future of our food and land. On today's show, we're hearing her speak in February 2015 in Sydney at an event aptly titled Planet on a Plate in celebration of the Year of the Soil. Listen up, you're in for a treat. We have a beautiful ancient Upanishad that says everything is food. Everything is something else is food. And in the food that comes to our plate are in space and in time all the relationships that ever were that made it. The relationships in the soil of geological processes that gave the minerals of all the organisms, the earthworm, which Darwin said would be the most significant species when human history would be written, in terms of what it contributes. He wrote a little booklet called The Mold, um, the Mycorrhizae. And for this beautiful continent, I would add the Aboriginal people. Every morsel you eat is a gift from them. The last time I was in Sydney, I was here for the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. And they gifted me a book which I read on the way back. It's a very fat book. And the title of the book is The Largest Estate on Earth. And it's basically showing that this continent was managed as a garden, not as a bush. So I think it would be good for all Australians to start talking about their continent as a garden because bush is something you use so frequently, isn't it? Um, And in every morsel we eat is all of evolution, biological and cultural. In it are the diversity of species. And the further diversification by the farmers who today are called intellectually challenged but have given us the 99.9% breeding that supports our food system. Um, Indian farmers gave us 200,000 varieties of rice. In Navdanias, we rescued and saved about 3,000. Most of the foods humans have eaten, and humans have eaten more than 8,500 species. Most of them were first driven out by the 12 commodities that were traded globally. And now that our seeds are genetically engineered, and the only reason seeds are genetically engineered is to collect a royalty from every acre. That's the only objective. Everything else is good spin. Because there are only four crops that they've been able to commercialize with genetic engineered traits, and only two traits after all these years, only two sad traits, 
Bt toxin, so that the plant becomes its own pesticide factory, and herbicide tolerant, the Roundup Ready crops. So you have four crops, corn, soya, canola, cotton, with two traits. And here are farmers who have, here's, here's, the, here's nature first, who's given us all the tremendous species. And then there are farmers who took grasses, the teosinte, gave us the corn and the diversity. Although Raisa Sativa, the parent of Indian rices, and no two varieties are the same. No variety has only one trait. All our breeding was for straw and grain in cereals. So that the straw would go to animals and the soil and we'd eat the grain and some of it we'd see, keep for seed. We've tried because of this orthodoxy that nature is deficient and other species don't have needs. The entire green revolution, the objective was how do you move war chemicals into agriculture? Story that was never told. It was always, always about feeding the world. And then because native species have been evolved to maximize biomass, not grain, they changed the partitioning to make what were called dwarf varieties. And these dwarf varieties then got rid of the store. So you had nothing to recycle back to the soil. You had no animal fodder. You had grain, and that to a monoculture grain. And the only reason this was done is because the traditional tall varieties, when they were fertilized with synthetic fertilizers, had a problem of lodging. So to get rid of that lodging, they made them dwarf. Did they invent the dwarf gene? No, they didn't. The wheat was taken from Japan during the war, Norin, and the rice was taken from Indonesia. <coughs> then it was crossed. And yet, we've always been told that these were miracles created by Norman Borlaug, who was even given a Nobel Peace Prize for the chemicals. And he called them miracle seeds. And he trained 12 people to spread this chemical package around the world. And he had the arrogance to call them his 12 apostles. I didn't really get trained in university in agriculture. My university training is in physics. My PhD is in the foundations of quantum theory. And already that training uh, equipped me well to get rid of the mechanical orthodoxy. And the mechanical orthodoxy assumes that everything is a hard billiard ball. And the only way they have impact on another billiard ball is through impact and violent action and direct action. And um, the certainty, you can predict exactly where that billiard ball will move according to Newton's laws of motion. And then we get quantum theory that shows nothing is immutable. Newton even said God made the world in terms of immutable billiard balls. 
And because the same particle can become a wave, nothing is certain. So living with uncertainty becomes vital. But most importantly, and to me the two big lessons of quantum theory that helped me get totally liberated from the mechanical philosophy is first the idea of non-separability, that everything is connected. Even in physics we've learned that. And in biology of the, that's feeding industrial agriculture and genetic engineering, they're so, trying so hard to keep a hundred-year-old orthodoxy alive of separation. The second in physics, in quantum physics, is because everything's evolving and there are no hard mutable, immutable balls, the world is really a world of potential. And potential depends on the context. So if farmers are respected in society and given a just price and allowed to learn from the earth and from their ancestors and from each other, we have systems that make farming viable, sustainable, respectable. And when you have an unjust system of pushing chemicals and seeds on farmers, farmers are turned into consumers, costs of production shoots up, then you have a globalized system based on so-called free trade, but the real part of that system is the $400 billion subsidy, a billion dollars a day, to push the prices down. And then you wonder why agriculture is becoming unviable. So since everything is potential, including the seed, including our children, including our society, it's creating the context for the unfolding of that potential that matters. So when I started Navdhani and I started to save seeds, and I started it because after my work on the Green Revolution, I started to get called for agriculture meetings and biotechnology meetings. And since I really deeply believe in permanent learning, I would go really to learn what's happening now. So I went to a biotechnology meeting, 1987, before any commercialization. And the industry that had brought us the war chemicals, had made them into agrochemicals, was now saying, got to own the seed. Our only source of profits is ownership of seed. And the only way we can lay claim of ownership is through patenting. And the only way we can claim a patent is through genetic engineering, because by then the tools of recombinant DLA were available in the public domain. And then they even said it's not good enough for us to capture US and Europe, which was the industrial agriculture market for seed. Most of the world had farmers varieties, India, till WTO and globalization, 80% of our seeds were in farmers' hands. And they said, got to make sure these patent laws apply worldwide. And they wrote an intellectual property rights treaty in the GATT, which became the WTO. And Monsanto is on record saying, we were the patient, diagnostician, and physician all in one in writing this treaty. We, and what, what was their dis illness? They, they were ill because farmers saved seeds. And what was the prescription to cure them of the illness? Now it should be illegal for farmers to save seed. When I heard them, I said, this is unacceptable because every species has integrity. 
And for me, seed freedom is the freedom of each variety, each species to evolve into the future. It's the freedom and the duty of farmers to save seeds. So we take a very simple pledge in Navdanya. That we have received this diversity and these seeds from nature and our ancestors, and it is our duty to save them and share them. And therefore, we will not obey any law that comes in the way of this higher duty. And from the beginning, 1987 onwards, not only have we personally not accepted patenting of seed and patenting of life, we've made sure that in India, our laws don't recognize it. You're listening to Dr. Vandana Shiva speaking at Planet on a Plate, Eating and Farming for Our Future in Sydney during February 2015. This is Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. This show is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. And the more serious issue is Canola, which was never invented by Monsanto, all they did was put a toxic gene into it to express toxic traits. Roundup resistance in particular. But also antibiotic resistance markers and viral promoters. That if at all they've done something new, it's that bundle of toxic genetic traits. And in any environmental issue, the principle is the polluter gets, is polluter must pay what Monsanto's done with Percy Smyzer in Canada and Steve March here is saying the polluter gets paid. And they've said in Percy's case, the way we'll take over, given the resistance against GMOs, is through contamination. So there are two issues related to this. One, it's because they've defined this as the intellectual property. The seed isn't. The next generation of seed isn't. But those toxics are theirs. They've added those. They didn't create life. Life is not a manufacture. But adding toxics is a human act. And I won't go into the details of Bauman versus Monsanto, where a farmer who bought grain from an elevator and planted it, he was sued by Monsanto. And the Supreme Court of the U.S. upheld the Monsanto case, saying any reproduction of a seed in a farmer's field that is patented, a seed that's patented, is the theft of a self-replicating machine. It's a machine, the seed. Now there's also in international law, and I was appointed by the UN to be an expert in framing the biosafety laws globally under the Convention on Biological Diversity, that convention uh, of biodiversity had Article 19.3, under which we got the biosafety protocol. There is an additional protocol on liability. We haven't done our homework. We haven't taken this international law on liability of damage and harm to biodiversity and converted it into movements, because no law comes without movement building. So rather than Steve fighting a defensive fight, I think in Australia, in India, in the United States, everywhere, we really should give a call. No patents on seed. Monsanto, you did not invent the seed. You anyway are not a person, even though you pretend to be. 
you don't have a mind, therefore you can't have intellectual property in products of the mind. And of course, all the food we eat embodies in it the hydrological cycle, the water footprint. There's so much discussion now on the virtual trade in water with the export of water and the import of drought in arid areas. So in my book, Soil Not Oil, I worked out on the basis of IPCC data that 40% of all greenhouse gases contributing to climate change are coming from industrial globalized farming. And with regenerative farming, we really have in our hands a system that could take all that additional carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and turn it into soil fertility. But for that, we'd have to do the work on the principle of the law of return, of giving back, which can only come from the recognition that we received. That the food we eat is the distillation of all the nutrition recycling. Geological time, yesterday, today, and I would add, the potential for tomorrow. Because the way we are harming the future is first by destroying the planet's capacity to support us. If you look at biodiversity, the United Nations Plant Genetic Resources Conference says 75% gone because of industrial monocultures. 75% water is abused and polluted in industrial agriculture. I've grown up in an India pre-green revolution in my young childhood. Our water anywhere was at 10 feet. 10 feet. And 75% of our land is anyway what is called rain-fed. You have to grow crops without irrigation. The only way you can grow crops without irrigation is if your soil is your water reservoir. And the only way your water reservoir in the soil increases is through organic matter and humus. When you destroy that, you can irrigate any amount and you're going to need more water. Chemical farming requires 10 times more water than native crops and organic farming. That's why dams are being built everywhere. Groundwater is being mined everywhere. And then the water that comes out, I mean, in organic farms, I know the council, city council of Munich pays organic farmers around Munich to do organic farming. So the water they received has been filtered through organic soils. In chemical farming, it's loaded with herbicides, glyphosate, pesticides, and it's more costly for councils to pull those pesticides out those nitrates from nitrogen fertilizer, and 70% nitrogen fertilizer runs off, goes into water bodies and is creating dead zones everywhere. If you look at the UNEP data on dead zones, 
every year the area where the ocean is dead is increasing. So soil, water, biodiversity, 75% destroyed. And the argument is this is all done to increase food production. Are we increasing food production? Look at the data. Only 30% of the food humans eat comes from large industrial farms. 70% comes from small farms and gardens. And I don't think the FAO, which did this assessment, assess, assessed all the gardens. They assessed you know, the more sort of documented gardens. Now a system that is 30% of your food supply and is destroying 75% of the planet, all you have to do is try and make it 45% of your food supply and you've got a dead planet. An impossible project. The single biggest reason why we've got to shift to an agriculture that works within the ecological limits of the renewal of fertility and water. And those limits actually allows you to enhance your productivity. Because the arrogance of that mechanical mindset is also an arrogance of, I call it capitalist patriarchy, the idea that everything has to be conquered and controlled. And that idea of control is constantly driving an agriculture based on control which goes out of control. Yeah. You think you're going to control the pests and you bring the war mentality, you know, kill everything living. Every insect is a pest. Not only do you create more pests, you create resistant pests, you create resistant weeds. Um, in the US, super weeds have just taken over. And Joel was saying that uh, every farmer is putting aside $100 for paying manual labor to deal with weeds that can't be controlled anymore. So the, the more you try and deny the fact that there are laws of nature and our most sophisticated work is to work according to those laws and not against them, the orthodoxy is. The only laws that exist are the ones we cook up. The laws of a free market. There's nothing like a free market. A market with intellectual property rights, $400 billion subsidy, threats, wars, trade wars, secret tribunals of the TPP. That's not free trade. That's coercive trade. And coercion in the hands of five corporations. In other times when we could speak more normally, we'd just call it dictatorship. <laughs> now, coming back to the GMO orthodoxy, as I said, the four crops, two traits, one corporation controlling most of the GM seeds sold anyway, only to collect royalties. Monsanto produces no seed. Monsanto does no agriculture. All it does is lock local companies into licensing arrangements and appropriate the genetic wealth of the world 
and collect rents and royalties from farmers. In the U.S., I did a rough calculation on the basis of the royalties they collect. It's $10 billion just for the technology fees. In India, the revenue and rent collection made the price of seed go so high, and uh, I won't go into details of how the alternatives were destroyed, but it pushed cotton farmers into debt. 95% of the cotton seed became Monsanto's monopoly, and more than 291,000 Indian farmers have committed suicide since the days this globalization process allowed Monsanto to start taking over the Indian market. And that's why we've started a whole new program in cotton where we've saved native cotton seeds, we do organic training. I was visiting our farmers the other day and one farmer took me so proudly to his field. He said, that half is all BT, because I was a BT cotton farmer, which is the... Uh, GMO cotton. But this half is seeds I brought from the Navdanya Community Seed Bank. Already, and he says, the harvest is not over. Already with half the harvest, I've doubled the output from my native cotton. So the idea that farmers don't have brains, nature doesn't have intelligence, is constantly countered when you allow nature and farmers to work. Uh, you know, they call farmers' varieties primitive Varieties, primitive, inferior. And the industrial varieties are, of course, always superior and improved. And in Borlaug's case, miracles. And in the case of Monsanto inventions. So for people who can't understand the complication of antibiotic resistance markers and viral promoters, etc., and they get confused. And what's that? And what's that? I say, okay, in future, just remember, GMO means God move over. <laughs> because the only reason, only reason GMOs are being pushed is royalty collection. Dr. Vandana Shiva is a scientist, ecologist, author, and winner of the Sydney Peace Prize. You've heard her speaking about food sovereignty and seed freedom. The threats created by industrial globalised farming, industrial monocultures, and the use of chemicals. She tells us about how genetic modification is first and foremost an industrial tool to collect royalties on seeds, monopolised by Monsanto and destroying farmers and biodiversity the world over. You can watch the entire talk, including a fantastic introduction by organic farmer Joel Salatin, on YouTube, search for Planet on a Plate. And of course, read up and learn more at vandanashiva.com and seedfreedom.info. The talk was organised by the GM Free Australia Alliance and the Sydney Food Fairness Alliance. The music you've heard is Bad Apple by Alpha Mama, who played on the night. Thanks to Adam Breesley and Shane Elson for the recording of Dr Shiva. And thanks also to the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the Community Radio Network. They're all working hard to get this program out to you, our listeners. This is Jem Rommeld on Earth Matters, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri land in Melbourne and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia. Drop us a line at 03 9419 8377 or email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. Until next time.
Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on The Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial.